Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. So kiddos, you can tune into this question right here. How many of y'all like birthday cake? You like birthday cake? And just in you in general, right? How many of you... Now, this is a genuine question. How many of you genuinely like birthday cake? I'm not talking about the event. I'm not talking about the day of. I'm talking about the actual, typically dried out cake that we consume. Okay? Some of you do. Right? I say that because I personally, the cake in and of itself, I'm not a huge fan. I would much prefer ice cream cake or a good cinnamon roll. But regardless, before you eat birthday cake, what is it customary to do? Blow out the candles. That's exactly what I was looking for. Before you eat the cake, it's customary to blow out the candles. Now, is there some kind of rule book by which you learn that, that you have to follow? Is it possible, in theory, to the, the candles are lit for you to just grab a piece from the side with your bare hands and just start eating it? Is that possible? Yes. Okay, it is possible. And expected? Well, if you're a kid, I guess it's expected. But the intended order, we can all agree upon. You blow out the candles before you eat the cake. All right? Table that thought for just a moment. In all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every gospel author mentioned the burial or the tomb of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a wonderful passage to uh, soak and bask in and to read constantly, 1 Corinthians 15, what did Paul do? At the very beginning, he stated this, I want to remind you, church, of the gospel I preached to you. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then what does Paul state right after that? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So you see, all four gospel authors, the Apostle Paul, in recounting the gospel message, they all thought it very important to mention the burial or to mention the tomb, that Jesus was buried, that he was in the tomb. But why do that? Why do the gospels mention that? Why does Paul mention that? Well, I believe it's because of this. The empty tomb prepares us to meet the risen Savior. Stated slightly differently, before you meet the risen Savior, it's important to experience the empty tomb. Do you have to do that logically? Do you have to follow that? 
order strictly? Can you lead people to Christ by just looking at the resurrected Christ and, and looking at the glory of him coming back from the dead? Of course. Right? There's no rule that says you have to read it exactly like this. But nonetheless, the order by which God revealed himself, by which he revealed his son, the gospel work, the order by which he did that was crucifixion, burial, raised from the dead. So it's kind of significant for you then to pay attention to what happened at the tomb. And when I talk about seeing the tomb, encountering the tomb, experiencing the tomb, I mean, what happened there? Who was there? What was said at the tomb? What was the feelings? What did they experience there? Because as you and I try to immerse ourselves into the shoes of the women, well, then it helps us to experience the risen Savior in verse 13 and following, which we'll do next week. So you might be wondering, how is that the case? How, do we, uh, how does the empty tomb help us? Well, as we, again, look at the experience of the women in verses 1 to 12, we're going to be looking at, number one, the revelation of the empty tomb, number two, the remembrance of Jesus' words, and then finally, the report of what the women saw. Firstly, the revelation of the empty tomb, verses from verses 1 to 5. So, the earth is still sleeping. It's Sunday morning. Everything is very quiet. There's still dew on the ground. The earth has not yet woken up. But, there's a handful of women who love the Lord, who serve the Lord, and early in the morning, early in the morning, while they're still in bed, they shoot up out of bed, just with eyes wide open. Because why? Because they have a goal. They have a mission. They want to honor their Lord and Master. Yes, of course, Jesus is dead, but they want to honor his dead body. They want to care for his body, tend to it by bringing perfume and spices and oils to anoint him, which according to John 19, verse 40, this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. How many of you have ever had that happen to you, that there's something looming on your schedule, and then you just shoot up out of bed because it's just so pressing? And I know we experienced that, at least me personally, when we went to Louisiana because our flight was at 6 in the morning, and we had to, of course, round up all the kids and stuff, so... As soon as the alarm went off, I just immediately, eyes wide open. Because I had a mission, I had a task, I had something I needed and wanted to do. And it certainly had to have been the case for these women. Of course they were grieving, yet at the same time, they were there very, very early in the morning when it was still dawn. So, the women go there to honor their Lord, whom they loved. It's fascinating that when you fill in the details with Matthew, Mark, and John, of the resurrection account. In Mark 16, 2, we find a few interesting details because when you try to blend the accounts, it, it just gives a fuller picture. Mark 16, 2, it gives us a little detail. It's kind of significant. The women, as they were on their way to the tomb, they were asking one another, um, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Have you ever seen that in the text? Who's going to roll away the stone for us? implying, right, we're not going to do it. We can't do it. That thing is massive. There's no way we're going to be able to do that. Who is going to roll the stone away from the tomb? And I say that to say, these women didn't know precisely how they were going to honor the Lord. They didn't know precisely how things were going to play out. 
But they did know that they wanted to honor him. They did know that they wanted to worship him. And because their heart, if you will, was in the right place, the Lord saw to it, in a sense, that the door was opened for them, but in the most magnificent way possible. So in, in your own life, right, this is just a tiny little reminder that though you might be facing some unknowns, you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out next month or this week or tomorrow. I don't really know how things are going to play out, how it's going to unfold. I remind you simply that it's okay, that your goal, your responsibility is to honor the Lord, for your heart to be in the right place. Because if that's the case, what does the, God's word say? He will prepare and order your steps. And God will open the door for you in the best way possible. But back to the text, though. So imagine the scene. The women are walking to the tomb. All right? I was just trying to imagine what, what happened. So let's say they're 50 feet away. And Joanna... Again, remember, it's, very st- it's pretty dark still. Joanna squints her eyes, and she looks and she sees the stone is rolled away. And imagine if you were visiting a pe- deceased loved one at the gravesite. Right? If you were walking there, if you were 30 feet away, and you saw where they laid, just a big hole in the ground, what would you think immediately? You would not... I guarantee you, you would not be thinking, oh, the Lord's back, because hopefully you're, you're still here, right? So there's some conflict there. You would not be thinking, oh, he's, my loved one is back to life. I can go see them. No. If I saw that with one of my loved ones who, you know, who passed, I would immediately just have this, like, this shock, amount of confusion. Like, what on earth? What? And then I, I'd imagine... Again, if I saw it, I would be shuffling a little faster. Like, like what happened over there? I need to go look more closely. And, I, and the women were doing the same thing. They look, they see the stone is rolled away. And perhaps they start shuffling their feet to get there faster. But then what happened? Well, look at the text. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You have to understand, these women did not go there looking for a risen Savior. They went there with oils, with perfumes, with spices to anoint a dead body. Okay, this is so important to keep in mind. They did not go eagerly, hopeful, and expectant that Jesus was back from the dead. They came knowing and thinking, believing the fact that he had died, which he indeed had, but that they would see his dead body. And they're not jumping to conclusions yet. You have to keep that in mind too. They're just trying to frantically look around for evidence, look around for anything in that kind of shock and and stupor, that confusion. They look around, they look for Jesus' body where they laid him, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it's significant, verse 3, you look at there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is the only time in the gospel accounts in which the phrase Lord Jesus is found. That phrase is common in the book of Acts. It's common in the epistles. But in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only time Lord Jesus appears. And it's as if Luke is indicating to us that the crucified Jesus is now the exalted Lord Jesus. So the women, undoubtedly, 
we're in shock. We're in, but things get more intense. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. You know that feeling of being startled by somebody? You walk around the corner, you don't know they're right on the other side. Or you might just be standing and somebody kind of puts their hand on your back and, oh, and you, you, know, you jump and you know, you're, you're scared slightly. Just imagine, right, the women were already, uh, it's not just a, a women thing, right? This is just, this is what they experienced. They're already in hysteria. They're already experiencing shock. They're already confused. They're grief, they're full of grief, they're full of confusion, all this. Now imagine, how would they have reacted with two men appearing out of nowhere, standing right beside them? How would you have reacted in that situation? I imagine some of them, I mean, maybe one of them fainted or something, I don't know. Um, Maybe they screamed. But the text tells us what they did. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. They were just terrified. They were scared. Um, In their fright, the women bowed their faces to the ground. This is also, frankly, a sign of submission. This is something much more powerful and grand and something I can't explain is before me. I'm bowing down. I'm not about to get on their bad side. I'm bowing down in submission. And verse 5 tells us, well, the whole passage, verses 1 to 5, what does it tell us? The tomb is empty. So, brothers and sisters, I tell you this morning, the tomb is, in fact, empty. The tomb is empty. But keep this in mind. Is the empty tomb good news? Think about it. Is the empty tomb, let me qualify it, in and of itself good news? I see yes and no. I would say it's not. Why is that? Well, if all you see is an empty tomb... As some of the other Gospels allude to, some people might think and say his body was stolen. Okay? So the empty tomb, and that's kind of, think about it, the, the Christian symbol is not, you know, the stone rolled away from the, that's not the sign of Christianity. Because an empty tomb is meaningless without a risen Savior. And I've heard it explained also that you need both the empty tomb and the experiences with the risen Savior for this to make sense. Because if all you saw is the empty tomb, like I said, somebody could have stolen the body. But if all you saw, so let's say the tomb was still sealed, and if all you saw was the resurrected body of Jesus, well, haven't you heard of people who sometimes see their loved ones who have passed? So potentially, some people might argue, oh, you're just seeing things. You're just seeing visions. He's still in the tomb. You're just seeing random stuff. You need both the actual body and the empty tomb for the resurrection to make sense. So empty tomb is meaningless without a risen Savior. And this is where the words of the angels come into play. Point number two, the remembrance of Jesus' words. This is quite significant. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. I think that first question they asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? Have you really picked that one apart? Keep in mind, the women did not come looking for a living person. 
And maybe it's just me, but when I read that, I sense a slight note of teasing, perhaps from the angels. Why do you look for the living among the dead? They didn't come doing that, so they're kind of like teasing them. He's not dead, he's living. And if you don't believe me, I think that is the heart of Christ because this is the most glorious thing that ever happened in human history. And when Jesus himself reveals who he is to the two, he definitely teases them. If you don't believe me, we'll look at that next week. So, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And then the angels speak a common command, biblical command, that is true in the Old Testament and in the New. What is it? What is that command they say? Somebody tell me. Remember. Yes. The angels say, remember. That's the command. That's the imperative. Remember how he told you. See, at a funeral, it is proper to remember a person's life. It's proper to reflect on those cherished memories. But at this graveside service, if you can call it that, the women are called to remember what Jesus said back in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Jesus predicted or prophesied his death at least three times in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 9. So quite a ways back. And the angels are saying, remember what he said to you. I looked and checked. I preached that sermon on the first time that Jesus gave this prophecy. I preached that sermon two years ago. So I don't know if it was two years prior. It might have been. But um, nevertheless, it was quite a, a bit ago. Remember what he told you. And then, verse 8, I think it's beautiful. A beautiful short little verse. It's easy for us to run over these kinds of things. But then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. And brothers and sisters, I remind you that this is the essence of the Christian life. This is the ever-continuing need for every single Christian. Because when you're worried about mysterious health concerns you may be facing, remember his words that he will never leave you or forsake you. When you experience the birth of a new healthy baby, remember his words to give thanks. When you're tempted to click on a website that you should not visit, remember his words to flee temptation. When you need hope, remember his words. When you need wisdom, remember his words. When you need wisdom and guidance and comfort, remember his words. This is our calling, to remember. And for the women, though, specifically, they are called to remember what he said back in Galilee. Why do I mention that? Why do I I focus on that? Well, here's why. This is why it's significant. Listen, Listen to this closely. The empty tomb only makes sense with divine words from above. The empty tomb only makes sense with divine instruction, with divine guidance from above. That is the same for you and I today. It's the same for not just the tomb. It is about the tomb primarily as we look at the text, but it's about everything. To understand anything in life, you need divine instruction from above. As one ministry I follow answers in Genesis, they're big on creation and that kind of thing. They, one thing they talk about is the age of the earth and this kind of thing. Is it young? Is it old? Billions of years old? Shorter than that? And they use the example of the Grand Canyon a lot of the time. They say, 
who has more evidence? Creationist or evolutionist when you look at the Grand Canyon? Let me just ask you, who has more evidence? Creationist? Not quite. Everybody has the same evidence. They're all looking at the same slab of rock. The exact same. It's the same amount of evidence. The question is, who has the right interpretation? Who has the right explanation, the right viewpoint? It's the same regarding everything, and especially the tomb. You look at the tomb. Anybody can look at the empty tomb and think, ah, somebody stole his body. It's the same evidence, but to understand what truly happened, you need divine words from above. That is what the angels provide here. He is not here. He is risen. He is alive. And think about it also like this. The women then believed. They didn't see the tomb first and then believe. They believed after they heard these words. And I loved how one commentator pointed out, how do you and I receive faith? Romans 10.17 Faith comes from hearing the message. Hearing the word, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That's how you and I receive, cultivate, enhance our faith, by hearing the proclaimed truth. It's no different for these women right here. So I proclaim to you, church, that Jesus is risen. That he is not here, he is risen. Lastly, number three, the report of what the women saw. Verses 9 to 12. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. When you remember Jesus' words, God willing, it leads to belief. When you believe, you speak. We read about that this morning in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Let me see if I can find it really quick. 2 Corinthians 4. There it is. Verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. In other words, you see the evidence right before you. With the Spirit convicting you, you believe that evidence. You believe that claim. And then you speak it. You share it. You cannot see glory and remain silent. You have to share it. You have to speak it with others. So, what do they do? They hightail it back to the 11. Just keep in mind, Judas is no longer part of the 12. He had committed suicide by this point. So they hightail it back to the 11. They report to them what they saw. Look at the text. They came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. What they saw, what they heard, who they met. They tell all of these things to the 11 and to all the others. And then finally, Luke tells us who these women were. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and as the Gospel of Mark includes and mentions, Salome or Salome, however you pronounce her name, you may do it. And also here, it says, um, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them. So there were at least five women there, at least five, perhaps more. And how did the apostles respond? How would you respond? They did not believe the women, that's what the text says, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. There's at least two reasons for this to explain verse 11. Number one, firstly, faithful Jews in the first century, they, they did hope for a resurrection. 
but they understood and they believed it to be something that would occur at the end of time where all the righteous would be raised from the dead. They had no category, no conception, no way of thinking, frame of reference to think of one man resurrecting in the middle of time. So when they hear this news of Jesus rising from the dead, they think it's absurd because they probably thought, oh really? So death and disease are all gone now? The lion has lied down with the lamb? There's true justice has been established across the world? Give me a break. That's not true. So that's part of it. They had no, I, no conception of one resurrecting from the middle of history. But secondly, in the first century world, you may not be, this may not be news to you, but women did not have a high social status at all. So in a courtroom, their testimony was not admissible evidence. And as one scholar put it, women were thought by educated men to be gullible in religious matters and especially prone to superstitious fantasy and excessive religious practices. So this is the underlying current. And then you, you kind of combine those two things with the third physical reality of their report. Because they, they're not just uh, doing a, like a calm sermon, right? They're most likely frantic and just, you know, I, I imagine they're doing this, right? Flipping their hands around everywhere. So combined all of those things. They didn't believe the words of these women because to them, it was like nonsense. Then, of course, we read Peter went up, he went and ran to the tomb, and kind of a whole other resurrection account happens there. But I want to just camp on the, the, the detail of the women for just a moment because it's significant for two reasons, for you and I. One, this is a reminder that God's kingdom turns the values of the world upside down. God's kingdom turns the values of the world upside down. Jesus exalts the lowly. He ministers to the brokenhearted, to the least of these, to the least deserving, which in that society was certainly included women. And that's why Jesus had a lot of ministry to women, healing them, uh, forgiving them, exalting them, raising them up, elevating them. God cares for these ladies. And he sees them, he, he views them, as witnesses of his resurrection. The first witnesses, the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection. So this speaks about God's high value of women in a society that did not. But secondly, this is significant detail for you and I to keep in mind. Apologetic-wise, meaning defending the faith. How to explain the truth of the resurrection to somebody. And that's by what's known as the principle of embarrassment. The principle of embarrassment. So, think about it like this. If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if Paul and others were wanting to propagate a false message, if they fabricated this, if Jesus did not truly rise from the dead, but they wanted people to buy into their belief system, their new philosophy as secular people think how Christianity started, well, they certainly, most certainly, would not have chosen women to be the first eyewitnesses. They most likely would have chosen maybe Nicodemus, or even Joseph of Arimathea, who we just read about, where Jesus, whom Jesus' tomb, where he was buried in, uh, Joseph's tomb, right? because these two men were highly respected in the Jewish community. So they, they could have been saying, you know, Nicodemus saw Jesus. He's respected. You should believe this guy. So why then do they mention the women, all four? 
And as John records, Mary Magdalene was the first person to meet the risen Savior. Why do they record this? Because it actually happened. Because that was the history of what happened. The only sound reason anybody can think of of why this was recorded, because it truly happened in history. And they wanted to be faithful because this is actually what happened in history. And that's significant for you and I. Because this speaks to right, the principle of embarrassment. An- another, way, another component of that, when the disciples constantly bumble and fail and mess up and stumble, it shows that they're human. It showed that these things actually happened. These are not perfect men. They, they were not flawless. No, the, the Gospels record their faults because this is true history. This is the God we serve. The God who flips the values of the world upside down. So church, I'm wrapping up right now. Right, The empty tomb prepares us to meet the risen Savior. I don't know about you, at least me preaching through this and uh, preparing the sermon, I'm eager to now uh, see what happens next. I know what happens next, but just to walk through it with you. The empty tomb prepares us to meet the risen Savior. The empty tomb, keep in mind again, it means nothing if the Savior is not living. But, as that beautiful song goes, but because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And my life is worth the living now because he lives. Amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this good news in which we are able to bask in a little bit. It's hard for us to fully immerse ourselves in the context of the first century to try to relive, re-experience what the women and, and even the apostles experienced that first Easter Sunday. What a wild ride it must have been. Father, will you please help us to, to see the history here, to be confident that this truly happened in time and space. Please help us to see the significance of your resurrection, what that means for our lives, how uh, though dar- death and darkness may seem to have the upper hand now, that because of your resurrection, we know that light and glory and life and beauty has the last say because you have the last say. Please help us to hold on in the midst of darkness. Help us to cling to hope in the midst of confusion. Please, Jesus, help us to have open eyes that we might see you. Not only to see you, but to savor you, to follow you, and then to speak of you to others. Beginning with one another, beginning with our own families, beginning with our friends, beginning with our neighbors and then spreading it to the ends of this earth. Thank you for this beautiful gospel truth that you have entrusted to us with broken jars of clay. We thank you that you've created us, you've molded us, and that we are loved by you. We look forward to next week as we gather in your due time. Help us to be faithful and persistent until that day comes. Prepare our hearts even now to receive uh, the continuing truth that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.